0: Good morning everyone. Happy Sunday to you. This is Pastor Dave. I'm one of the pastors at Cross Point Church. And uh, today I'm coming to you from Paulie's. It's a great pub and restaurant right on Greenfield Avenue, across the street from State Fair Park. In fact, behind me is a big open uh, kind of an open window where uh, you can hear the traffic behind me, and State Fair Park is directly behind me. You can see the grandstand from here. They've got a great stage here where they have live music, and their dining room is actually open right now. They open at 11 o'clock on weekends, and they open at 2 o'clock during the week. Stop by Paulie's; They have great food. It's a great place to meet up with people and experience a little taste of West Alice. Uh, it's really important that we continue to support locally owned businesses during this time, uh, unfortunately, uh, since I uh, gave a message from Johnny V's a few weeks ago, they're closed down, and uh, for over the last couple days, another local restaurant has closed down. It's really important for us to support locally owned businesses, so come on down to Pauly's this week and have a good time. I want to thank the Gustafson family for uh, giving us that great greeting this morning, for getting their kids involved. We miss you guys, and we're excited to come back together as a church for in-person services. Today, in fact, if you're watching this right around 10 o'clock today, you could still make it to our second service, which starts at 1030. But my guess is you're watching in your pajamas and you're way too comfortable to do that. So that's fine, too. Um, This morning, we're going to talk about our comeback series. And the title of today's message is Back with the Gospel. I'm really excited to give this message from the Gospel of John today. And before I do, please join me as I pray and ask for God's help which I need every single day, and I'm sure you do too. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word this morning. I thank you for our church that is gathered all over the city, and some of some people who will gather in person today, we pray for their safety. We pray, God, that uh, your gospel will be proclaimed and heard and received, and that people will be changed. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning I'd like to share a little bit of, of a comeback story with you from... The world of writing. And uh, in 1990, a young 20 something woman named Joanne Rowland had dreams of becoming a published author. She had just finished college, was moving around working temp jobs, when her mom finally lost a 10 year battle with MS and died at the age of 45. Uh, at that point, she was at the end of her rope. She decided to move to another country for a fresh start and began writing about a boy she had dreamed up while she was in college. She began putting her imagination to paper. She met and fell in love with a young man. They got married, had a baby girl together. But during their first year uh, with a new baby, her husband grew increasingly abusive, and it got so bad she was forced to take their daughter and leave. She went back home uh, to the U.K. to live with her near her sister. She had no money. She had a ruined marriage. She thought about taking her own life. The only thing that kept her going was her daughter and the first three chapters of her first book. So she applied for welfare benefits and she got enough to get herself a small apartment. She started working a part-time job and working on her manuscript. But she really was struggling for a while to even provide for herself and her daughter. She was barely making enough money to avoid being homeless. She was seeing a therapist. She was getting some emotional support from her sister and brother-in-law and some close friends. But it was a really hard road. And finally, in 1995, she finished her manuscript. It got the attention of a local agent who began shopping it around to publishers. The first 12 publishing houses rejected it, but the 13th publisher gave her an $1,800 advance. And her first book, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, was published. Ten years later... J.K. Rowling became the world's first billionaire author. J.K. Rowling made a comeback in life with a vision, hard work, and determination through hard times. But most people don't have all that. Most people don't have a billion-dollar idea and the skills to make it become a reality. Most people need help. They need someone to come along and give them the billion dollars. And that brings us to our next great comeback story from the story of God, the Bible. Jesus and his disciples uh, spent a lot of time walking. And at the start of John 4, they're walking from Jerusalem north to Galilee, where Jesus was from. And they decide to go through the region of Samaria. And assuming they left early in the morning, they'd probably been on the road walking for about six hours. It's, It's right about lunchtime. They're tired. They're hungry. They're thirsty. So Jesus' disciples go into the nearest town in Samaria. But Jesus stays behind near a well by himself. And in John chapter 4, in verse 7, we read, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, You would ask me, and I would give you living water. Now, this is a risky encounter for Jesus. Why is that? Well, many churches, including ours, have a strict policy for our leadership team that a man doesn't meet with a woman alone. Why? Well, it's not hard to figure this out. Let's say a pastor gets together with a woman at church. She's struggling in her marriage. It starts out innocently. The pastor has every good intention of helping her and all of a sudden before either of them even know what's happening this happens it's unwise it's creepy it's not supposed to happen that way it's dangerous and jewish men who cared about their reputation were even more careful to avoid being alone with a woman in public and add to this the history of isaac and jacob these patriarchs of the christian faith of the jewish faith who both found their future wives at a well and all of a sudden, you have an environment where, hey, in case you're look, in, unless you're looking for a future wife, you should avoid wells. And that's what Jewish men did. And this is why in verse 27, we learn that Jesus' disciples were shocked when they found him alone with her at a well. In fact, an ancient uh, Jewish rabbinical commentary said, A man shall not be alone with a woman in an inn, not even with his sister or his daughter, on account of what men may think. A man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even with his own wife. And especially not with another woman on account of what men may say. I actually have a pastor friend in West Dallas who was at the gym working out with his sister one time. And later that week he got a call from one of his elders and they said, Hey, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but someone from the church saw you at a gym flirting with another woman who was very attractive. Can you shed any light on that? (laughs) So I guess, you know, if we're going to be consistent, we should just say "Men." Unless you're looking for a future wife, you should avoid gyms. Yeah, right. I think you get the point. Right? Jesus is a respected teacher. He's a rabbi. He's, he's really under the microscope. People are, ju- people are waiting for him to mess up. So to talk to this woman alone at a well is risky for him. Not only that, but she is a Samaritan woman. She's a, she's a woman of another race. And without going into all the history between Jews and Samaritans, they basically couldn't stand each other. Each group thought the other one was the true descendants of Abraham and had special access to God. There were physical confrontations that ended in murder and bloodshed. So they did not mix. Jews wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. They looked down on Samaritans, and we learn eventually that even Jesus' disciples are racist, especially Peter. It took years for the gospel to transform Peter's heart and to change the way that he treated people of other nationalities. And there's a third reason that this is risky for Jesus. We learned that this woman had bad character. She had a past. She has a reputation. She's an outsider. And the reason is because she's been married five times and she's currently living with her boyfriend. So let me ask you something. How would a woman like that be treated at our church? If she decided to come in on a Sunday, you know, let me put it in, in modern day terms. Okay. Let's say an African American woman came into our church and all we know about her is that she's been divorced five times and is currently living with her boyfriend who she brought with her that Sunday. Would she feel accepted? Would she feel loved? Would she feel any, like she has any worth when she's with us? So I can tell you this in Jesus' day, Women typically came out to the well in groups because it was safer. They would come in the morning or late afternoon when the heat of the sun wasn't so intense. But this woman comes alone at noon. Why is that? I think it's obvious. She doesn't want to be seen. And when people don't want to be seen, there's a reason. When I was a kid and I did something really bad, my mom would sometimes say, David, when your dad, because you use my full name, David, when your dad comes home, you're getting a spanking. And guess where I was when my dad got home? I wasn't at the front door waiting for him and to, to hug him. I was hiding. I was hiding somewhere behind the house or in the neighbor's yard. I didn't want to be seen. I felt guilty. I was afraid of punishment. And that's how many people feel today towards God. They feel they want to avoid God. They feel guilty. They don't want to be seen. They don't want to come to church because they might feel um out of place, or judged. You know, many people today are not interested in going to church, but they are interested in Jesus. And can we blame them? I mean, here's a woman who's not allowed in the temple or a local synagogue, but she's happy to talk to Jesus. Listen to what uh, pastor and author Tim Keller said in his book, The Prodigal God. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message Jesus did. This woman is drawn to Jesus. And she's actually talkative around Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed this, but people are generally very talkative these days. And, and that's the, the reason is because they've been isolated for two months. They haven't been able to talk to other people. And now that they're finally allowed to go out in public, they have a lot to say. And I would guess this woman has not talked to anyone besides the man she's been living with in months or maybe longer. So the problem is, not that she's talkative, the problem is she wants to talk about too many things she's not a good listener. She keeps changing the subject. And as we've said before, good listeners don't do that. Good listeners are able to talk about one thing for a long period of time and to talk deeply about that thing. And so Jesus wants to talk to her deeply about what it means to have eternal life, but he has to do some work to get through to her. This woman is hard to get through to She's, she's a little bit witty. She's a little sassy. Maybe that's why she's had five husbands. I don't know. But here's how she responds to Jesus when he offers to give her living water. And again, in verse 11, she says, But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, if you were at the uh, live service today, I'm going to do a visual aid and a live demonstration of the difference between living water and stagnant water. I can't do that right here. But between verses 7 and 15, the verb give appears seven times. And even though Jesus starts this conversation by asking her to give him a drink, the reason Jesus even went to Samaria at all was to give this one woman eternal life. Because she's the one who's truly thirsty, not Jesus. This woman represents, in fact, everyone who's ever felt thirsty or unsatisfied with life. People who ask, is this all there is? Isn't there more to life than this? I came across a friend's uh, Facebook post this week, and he said something I've never heard him say. I've never seen him talk like this before on Facebook or in real life. He said, "He said, so am I the only one that questions our existence? Maybe we are not who we believe, and maybe we're not where we belong. Sometimes it is time to relocate and start over. There are so many places I believe I belong and so many things I seek. I am truly not sure I have found my destiny. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. I know there's a lot of people who feel like that, but they're afraid to talk like that. And I give my friend credit. He's willing to put himself out there. And this woman, looked just like my friend, has not truly belonged anywhere. She's relocated and started over at least five times already. She hasn't found her destiny. And Jesus, who has a way of avoiding small talk and getting right down to business with people and speaking right into their heart, touches her where it hurts. Before this conversation goes any further, he says to her, go and get your husband. You see, Jesus knows about her past. And immediately she puts up a wall. She doesn't want to go there. She doesn't want to talk about her past. She doesn't want to talk about the five divorces. So she changes the subject, not once, but twice. She asks Jesus, Jesus, where's the best place to worship? Is it in the temple or or this mountain? Is it the Jews or the Samaritans? Who has it right? She's still stuck on the differences between her and Jesus. She's stuck on stereotypes. She's putting God in a box. But Jesus won't let her stay there. He tells her God is not looking for people who are just just interested in attending a weekly mass or a worship service. He's not looking for people who are just doing enough to keep God at a distance, to keep him at a safe, you know, arm's length. He's not looking for people who will treat him with respect only in the, you know, the sacred space. So who is God looking for? Jesus tells us in verse 23, But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. God is looking for people who will worship Him wherever they are, not just in a church service, but wherever they find themselves. He's looking for people who won't treat Him like a category of their life. He isn't looking for religious people. He's looking for true worshipers who worship Him in every area of their life. And this woman's never heard anything like that before. (laughs) And she kind of dismisses Jesus. Like, Jesus, Maybe okay, maybe you are a godly man. Maybe you're even a prophet. But I don't think you have this all figured out yet. Someday the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain all this to us. And we'll all be on the same page. And that's when Jesus drops a bomb. And she opened the door for it. Let me show you how this woman makes an incredible comeback. And it happens very suddenly in verse 25. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I am the one who came here to explain this all to you. And just like that, she believed. She drinks the living water. She is changed. She stops making excuses. She stops changing the subject. Her shame is gone. Her past has not changed, but she was changed. And Jesus gives her the billion dollar prize. And she did nothing to earn it. He just gives it to her. And that's grace. That's how any of us receives eternal life. It's not because of our performance. And she runs back to her town. She leaves her jars behind at the well. She starts telling everyone about Jesus. And the passage ends with a whole lot of people trusting in Jesus You know, for weeks, Jesus had been traveling all over. He's teaching, he's healing, he's performing miracles, but he was very careful not to reveal his true identity to anyone until today. She's the first. This woman whose name we never learn has gone from being an outcast with a dark past and no followers to being the first missionary to Samaria, the first person outside of the 12 disciples to see Jesus for who he really is, the Savior of the world. What an amazing comeback. So every week we've been asking a couple really important questions that we should ask any time we read the Bible. The first one is, what does this passage have to do with Jesus? And here's what it has to do with Jesus. Here's what it tells us about Jesus and about God. Jesus sees people differently than we do. Jesus sees God's kingdom filled with every kind of person in the world. The Jews saw God's kingdom filled with Jews. Americans typically see God's, people fill, God's kingdom filled with other Americans. But Jesus sees God's kingdom filled with every kind of human you could possibly imagine. You know, Jesus would often confuse the disciples because, because he was so open to everyone. It wasn't so much for what he did, but who he did it for. And this encounter with this woman is a perfect example. And Jesus' disciples were shocked when they found him talking to this woman. They were were confused when he invited Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him. They were confused when he honored a prostitute and then forgave all of her sins. They were confused when he invited himself over to a crooked government employee's house. They were confused when he spent a lot of time with children. They were confused when he healed people who were clearly suffering from their own poor choices. And they 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 were confused one time when Jesus did not give life or eternal life to a rich young man who had obeyed the law his whole life and instead gave eternal life to a poor blind beggar. The disciples were confused by the people Jesus chose to be on his team and to be in his kingdom because most of these most of the people Jesus chose were not winners. And here's the point. When we look at the way Jesus lived, and the people Jesus gave eternal life to, we learn that anyone can come to the Father. Anyone can have peace with God. doesn't matter what their past was like. All they need is humility. All they need is grace. God's love has nothing to do with our behavior. God doesn't love you because of you. God loves you because of God. And that's the good news. That's the gospel that we proclaim. The woman at the well left her town at noon to get water alone, and she came back with the gospel. The gospel changed her. And you know what? The gospel changes everything. It changes our hearts. It changes our minds. It changes our attitudes. It changes our priorities. It changes the way we spend our money and the way we give. It changes our relationships. It changes our marriages. It changes our parenting. It changes the way we see people who look and sound different than we do. So what does this have to do with us? Can we see the way that Jesus sees? How do you see people who are different than you? People with different values, people in a different income bracket, people with different color skin, people who live in in that part of the city. All of those people are treasured by God. Are they treasured by you? You know, our church is in the middle of a kind of comeback. God is writing our comeback story right now. And, and we've, we have we were scattered for 10 weeks, and now we can finally start gathering again. But we are still scattered. Over, over half of the church is still scattered. Many of our people are afraid to come back to church. Think about that. And that's because we're different, and that's okay. I, I want to show you a picture that I found of our church. This was taken uh, three years ago on one of our first, I think it was our first Sunday that we met at our current location in our building. And the reason I love this picture is because it captures a moment in time when we when we came to church thinking the sky was the limit, and, and guess what? I, I still come to church that way. I hope you do too. Our church was was growing. You know the possibilities were endless. The 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 lobby was full. The sanctuary was filling up. We were welcoming new people every week. There were a lot of invasions of personal space going on with handshaking and hugging and people staying long after the service was over. And just three months ago, we were still like our church was still growing. We were our sanctuary was was fuller than ever. And as much as we'd like to, we can never go back to this moment. You know, our lobby won't look like that for a long time. And here's why I'm showing you this picture today. Our goal as a church right now is not not to go back to that and to get things back to normal as soon as possible. Our goal as a church is to love people right now in the disruption, in the chaos, in, with all the tensions, all the racial tensions and political tensions going on, let's not miss the opportunity that God has given us right now to love people who are not like us. People who think differently than we do, people who look and talk differently, people who live differently. You know why? Because Jesus can make anyone a true worshiper, and God is looking for worshipers and he's looking for messengers, and anyone who looks... Who, who worships God as he truly is becomes a messenger what they have in Jesus is so exciting and urgent to them that they want to tell other people about it that's a sign that you have drank the living water is that here excited to tell other people about it you feel like you have to and as the Samaritan woman is running back to her town to tell her townspeople about Jesus she doesn't care about her past anymore Jesus turns to his disciples and says this, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The fields, our community and our neighborhoods are ripe for harvest right now. People are spiritually thirsty right now. They are scared right now. They are angry right now. They are on edge right now. You know, in the United States, Right now we have a pandemic problem, we have a racism problem, we have an unemployment problem, but the biggest problem we have is a gospel problem. Not enough people are hearing the gospel, not enough people are hearing the good news that God loves them, not because of who they are, but because of who He is. And the gospel is the only thing that can get deep down into the innermost being of any person and change them from the inside out. It's the only thing that's going to heal us. And the people in your life, all they need is someone to tell them who Jesus really is. And everything could change for them. Will you be the one who shares the gospel with them? Will you be the messenger? Will you be God's agent in your neighborhood, at your workplace, at your warehouse, in your salon, at your job site, wherever you are? Will you worship God not only in your living room, not only at church, but out in our community where the real thirsty people are. That's the kind of people God is looking for. And it's my job as your pastor not to tell you what you want to hear or make you feel good by saying, hey, you know what, guys, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be back to normal soon. My job is to mobilize you for gospel witness and for movement and gospel ministry. My job is to encourage you and challenge you every single week to love the people that God is sending you to. The people who would be shocked that you're even talking to them, maybe. That's a sign that you have Jesus living in you. And guess what? We're in this together. I'm looking for those same opportunities in my neighborhood right now. And now is the time to go. There's no better time to start a conversation with someone and to love our neighbor. Wherever you're at, please stand for the benediction this morning. It comes from John chapter 7. Jesus was at a festival, a festival, a religious festival, and right in the middle of, a, of it, he stood up and he shouted these words to everyone who was there in attendance. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare... Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And you know what Jesus was talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit. And it's not meant to keep to ourselves. So I'll be praying for you this week as we go out and talk to more people about Jesus, that living water, more and more people will drink that living water and experience the life of Jesus and all this chaos. And I look forward to seeing you next week at 10 o'clock from a new location. And until then... Have a wonderful week living by faith.